Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Financial Commute. I'm Chris Galeski, your host, and I'm really excited to have Todd Williams, Chief Investment Officer of Grub Properties. Grub focuses on investing in multifamily real estate. They've been doing it for close to 60 years, have well over 50 properties and about $2 billion worth of assets. You know, Todd, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us and thank you for all the support um, for our fund programs. Um, And certainly I know we'll get into it a little bit, but uh, we really do appreciate um, all the uh, investment support that we've had with uh, the Morton team. You're welcome. You know, we love investing in general, but it's not just investing in stocks and bonds. It's also intangible assets like real estate. And you guys have a really cool story. Tell us a little bit more about Grub and how you guys kind of attack the multifamily sure. real estate market. Now, happy to do that. Um, so Grub Properties is uh, you know, getting ready to go on a 60-year-old uh, firm. We were a firm that was founded in housing. Um, in fact, Bob Grubb, uh, the founder of our firm, uh, the parent of our current CEO, Clay Grubb, um, now deceased, unfortunately, um, but um, but Bob founded the company in uh, actually single-family housing. Uh, I- interestingly enough, um, in uh, providing housing to folks that were otherwise locked out of it. Um, back then, banks practiced a form of uh, discriminatory uh, lending yeah. um, called redlining, and he didn't feel, feel like that was right, but he also saw it as a business opportunity, and, uh, and that's where we've always kind of you know, seeing mission overlapping with uh, investment strategy. And in this case, um, what he did was basically provide nonprofit financing or not-for-profit financing um, for folks that were otherwise locked out of home ownership. Um, and then that allowed him to fuel essentially a home building business at the time. Wow. And uh, now since that time, we have really evolved into a multifamily um, uh, manager and then ultimately a multifamily developer today yeah. uh, with our Link Apartments brand, which we, we can talk about in just a little bit. There's a lot of different ways to kind of attack the multifamily space and its popular um, form of investing. It's one of the asset classes that's done extremely well the last 20 years. There's obviously a need for housing because the undersupply across the country. Tell us a little bit more about how you guys um, invest in multifamily. What makes you guys different? Sure. Um, so, you know, we have um, invested in multifamily now since really since the 1970s. Um, we've done that in all sorts of different execution strategies from value add, you know, acquisition investing to uh, ground up multifamily development. Over the last um, decade or so, um, we have been uh, working on a particular product that focuses on a segment of the multifamily industry. And this particular segment that we focus on is really the moderate priced young renter. So this is the millennial or Gen Z renter, if you will, um, that is really driving this uh, very, very significant demand for multifamily housing. Yet they have very different needs than the workforce, their workforce housing counterpart, which is the folks that are typically using two, three, four, and five bedroom unit configurations because they have families. That's yeah. working class families. Um, this is the moderate renter that just doesn't have families yet, either because they're too early in their lives and haven't had family formation yet, or because they've chosen to uh, postpone that, um, as many of the 
millennial generation has has chosen to do for their careers and so forth. And I so, did. I didn't have my first kid till I was forty. So I, I, I'm the same. And unfortunately, I'm not even a millennial. I'm a I'm a Gen X. So, but the interesting thing about that is it it, it really means that they have a very different need in terms of the real estate. And what we've done is try to focus on what that need is. And one of the key aspects of that need is one, they just don't have the bedroom configurations because they don't have those families. So that's a, an issue. Two, they really want to be and need to be in urban locations near jobs, near um, major amenities um, that they can avail themselves uh, to near transit. Um, they need, need ideally to be near stable and growing job bases. And so for us, those are major medical, you know, biotech campuses, research centers, universities, uh, where there's a lot of growth going on in the, in, in the economy. But the other key aspect of it is they also need to be in those types of locations at a price point um, that uh, puts them in a range of income qualification between, say, 60% and 140% of AMI. Okay. And so that's a really, really difficult uh, income segment to reach um, because of the cost to produce housing mm -hmm. and the rising cost of producing housing that we've seen really over the last decade, yeah. uh, more markedly so even over the last two years as inflation has been pretty rampant in yeah. the housing industry. So your goal is to really build great units for the growing millennials, Gen Zers that don't need as much space and you're able to efficiently build these units and maybe fit more into a building than what a traditional manager might do and that could increase um, income that way? Yeah, so what's interesting is so I'm a recovering architect and urban planner, admittedly, and um, what I've been amazed at is I, as I go around the country and tour apartment communities, um, I'm really blown away at how um, non-innovative the industry has really been over the last, I guess, 70 years since it's really been in place. Uh, uh, post-World War II. Um, and what I've really discovered is that, um, you know, the, the industry itself is not really focused on efficiency mm -hmm. and uh, not, not on a, any kind of programmatic way. There's certainly you can find uh, multifamily developers that are, you know, doing individual projects with some of these characteristics, but nobody's doing it on a programmatic basis. Mm -hmm. And so, we really tackle it two different ways. The first is through no no coincidence because of my background design. Yeah. And on the design side, we um, we build just six highly efficient unit floor plans, mm -hmm. and we duplicate those across our portfolio. They're almost like a Lego block system, if you will. Okay. And so we rearrange them on different sites, uh, create new skins that wrap those, and then. Um, that allows us to have really the most efficient product compared to our, our peers in the industry, literally right across the street from us yeah. um, from a design perspective. Yet these units feel every bit just like any Class A apartment uh, unit that, that's out there with, you know, European style cabinets in the kitchen and undermount sinks and stainless steel fixtures, you know, solid surface countertops, you know, undermount sinks, all that you know, glass backsplashes under cabinet lighting, everything you'd expect in a kitchen. Um, we really focus on squeezing out the inefficiency in the space, you know, uh, areas uh, such as awkward corners or entry hallways, things that aren't necessities uh, where we can drive out space and uh, focus on a space that's really important for the, for the resident. So for us, you know, 60, 65% of our resident base 
our, our female residents mm -hmm. um, because they represent 60% of college graduates today, for example, yet at, they suffer from a gender pay gap still. Mm -hmm. And so rent uh, is even more sensitive for them, but amenity is important. And so for, for that resident, you know, we, uh, even our smallest units have full walk-in closets, for example. So that's that. a, a that's an idea where we're actually expanding space yeah. uh, in that area, but cutting it out of other places because that's what's really important for that resident. Or in our bathrooms, for example, we're doing 48-inch long vanity countertops with offset sinks. So there's plenty of countertop space yeah. and a full bank of drawers underneath. Um, okay. You know, for product. Right. I don't use a lot of that these days. <laughs> you're not, but, you're not uh, to use but, very much. But our residents do. Yeah. And so, um, you know, so that's the, the, the way we approach design. It's from the inside out. How do we make the units more um, uh, amenitized uh, in suite for the resident? And how do we uh, create a very, very efficient unit floor plan type that we can duplicate? Now, how does that compare in the industry? If you walk into an average apartment community in the United States today, it'll have anywhere from 25 to 30 different unit floor plan types no uh, compared to our six. Yeah. Um, and I can tell you, there's just no way you can be that efficient with that many unit floor plan types. I, I walked a project in uh, Aurora, Colorado, where we're building a project right next to the Fitzsimmons Innovation Campus, med big medical, uh, multi um hospital medical campus yeah. and biotech center uh, emerging in, in just outside of Denver. And uh, the project that I walked on was a, a little over 400 unit deal and it had a hundred different unit floor plans. Wow. And I was walking with a leasing agent and asked her, you know, how in the world um, do you know what uh, unit we're going to see here? And she said, I, I don't, I'll, I'll let you know when we get there. So can you, you can build faster then because you're being more efficient with less number of units too. Well, what, what it's, it's funny. It's, it's, it's actually helping us three different ways. One, we can design to permit quicker, mm -hmm. uh, which is accelerating our ability to, uh, to get shovels in the ground. Two, we can build a quicker, not only can we build quicker, but also, um, we're finding we're getting logistics benefits. Yeah. You know, for example, our tub manufacturer uh, delivers only one tub for every unit we have, um, and that that that's also very different than the industry. Yeah. Most you know apartment communities will have different tubs and showers for the different unit configurations. Right. So that logistics efficiency, for example, is providing a lot of benefits to us, especially over the last you know year and a half when we've had a lot of logistics issues in the industry. Um, and then the third benefit is one that we're realizing now that we're at scale with this product. And our product, by the way, is called Link Apartments. Mm -hmm. uh, we now have 12, roughly about 12,000 units of this product, either fully built, under construction, or in various stages of pre-development in wow. design and, and so forth. And so now that we're getting to scale, the third big benefit is that our management teams that are managing these properties are managing those same six unit floor plans. Yeah. And so they know how to lease those effectively. They know how to um, manage a, those for performance. Mm -hmm. And that's starting to pay dividends at a portfolio scale for oh, us, which nice. is really powerful. Yeah, that's that's a nice tangible benefit in terms of you can have operational efficiency with that as well. Yep. Um, there's obviously a lot of risks and benefits to investing in real estate. COVID was a big surprise for everybody. I love the story in terms of how you guys reacted during COVID, not only to help protect yourselves, but also your tenants. Why don't you share with us some of those uh, things that, that those sure. changes that you guys made when COVID came about? So it's interesting, you know, at the outset, of course, um, 
nobody had any idea what the true impact was going to be. And there were all sorts of, um, you know, stories, um, both anecdotal and real about whether rents would even come in um, at any meaningful uh, range that would allow us to do everything you need to do as a, a, as an owner um, from, you know, paying operations teams and vendors to, you know, making debt service payments. And so that was a real scare at that time in early March. Uh, And I recall it very well, but, you know, fortunately we had a a very, very progressive and thoughtful CEO who said, we got to get out in front of this very, very quick. And uh, we got together as a team and we said, look, how, how can we motivate our uh, residents to, you know, get their rent in early so that we'll have confidence going forward uh, that uh, that we can um, you know continue to perform at the highest level. Yeah. And uh, and and we did that. What we did is we went out to our residents and we in March and we provided them a discount if they prepaid their April rent. No kidding. And uh, and we had a very very high collection basis uh, on that, which gave us then the confidence to move forward. So what we did is then we went to our vendors and we said, look, if you get your bills in by the 25th of the month, we'll make sure you're paid right away. Yeah. And uh, But we need you to do the very best service on our properties. And so we we did that. Um, our vendors were, were uh, happy. They gave us that best service. And if you remember at the time, that service meant a lot of extra cleaning and sanitation uh, sanitizing, um, because those were, you know, those were perceived issues at that time. And so that made a huge difference. And then our, you know, our residents, I think had a 10% discount if they prepaid their rent. We then continued that program, uh, for the very next month. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that that did for us is not only give those residents that benefit then, and this was before PPP and all of the additional programs that came out, but it then built an entire loyalty, uh, program almost with our residents at that point. And we had just rolled out that year as well a, uh, uh, a renter loyalty program, which I, I think we may be one of the only you know, national companies in the country that even has such a program where if you lease from us long term, we'll provide you a, uh, a cap on your rental increases. And so nice. um, you know, that's, uh, that's also another powerful way in which we can uh, you know, seek a win-win with residents and w- with uh, uh, with our operations, yeah. and it's actually really beneficial. Uh, it's truly a win-win because not only do the residents um, uh, get the benefit of that cap, but we have lower turnover costs, which is a huge cost in the industry because you have downtime when the unit has to be uh, remarketed. You have um, uh, refurbishment costs that you paint, have to flooring, put in, paint, oh, yeah. floor, all that, all that sort of thing. And so if you can reduce that, it actually is more beneficial to provide that right. as a cap for that resident than to incur those costs. And so we always, you know, that's a case in which it's been beneficial to both parties. That's pretty cool. Um, obviously, a lot has changed since COVID uh, with all the money printing and stimulus policies. We've now been seeing the fears of inflation the, the the past call it nine ten months and we've seen a rise in interest rates as you guys look at making investment and property decisions out in the future um how are you guys navigating this new landscape are you changing your strategy at all yeah so it was interesting um at the outset of of uh, the pandemic not only were we being you know aggressive on the defensive side by putting in place a lot of those things that we just you know talked about and many more 
Um, but also we decided we were also going to play offense. And, um, and so on the offense side, we saw a huge opportunity taking shape, especially in the gateway markets, um, where we had this temporary flight of consumers, residents, um, you know, out of those markets mm -hmm. and um, uh, 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 also a flight of capital out of those markets uh, very significantly. Um, so rents were decreasing, yeah. occupancy was decreasing, and capital was flowing, and capital was flowing into more of the growth markets in the South, Southeast, uh, yeah. Southwest. Um, and so what we decided to do is try to take advantage of that disloc temporary dislocation. We had no idea, because we, we, you know, we felt long-term yeah. those markets would be solid. They, they had been for, uh, you know, as many uh, recessionary periods as we could look back at. Um, yeah. They had typically low correlation to uh, recessionary risk. Obviously, the pandemic was a different type of risk, but we felt that they would recover. We had no idea they would recover quite as quickly right. as they, they had. Right. Um, but uh, what that did is it, it opened up the opportunity to secure sites for, for new development at incredible discounts. So we went into markets like LA, the Bay Area, New York, DC, and uh, even to a lesser extent, the Denver market, which is a bit of a, both a resilient and growth right. market. And, uh, and we were able to secure very, very significant discounts. Um, in many cases, we were able to secure subsidies. Um, and, uh, and that gave us a lot of confidence to go in those markets because we felt like we had this, this you know, nice margin of safety that we were building with um, pretty significant uh, you know, co lower cost basis yeah. than you know, had typically been there pre-pandemic. Right. Uh, in markets that are normally super high barrier to entry and have an enormous housing uh, challenges, right. uh, yeah, even more so, even more acute than many of the, the traditional high growth markets. Yeah. Well, Todd, thank you for sharing your story. I, we really appreciate the, the work that you guys do in helping us protect our clients' capital, helping them find ways to grow and generate income. And I just think your story is fantastic. So thanks for, thanks for joining us today. Well, no, thank you for ha having us and thank you for investing with us. We, we really appreciate all the support. The uh, program that we've been working on is, uh, as it's gotten to scale, it's really become even more powerful, and we're just yeah. so uh, we're just so happy uh, that um, that uh, that we could team together. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. Thank you.